Turning your Bibles, if you will, to James chapter 3. James 3, verses 9 to 12 today. 3, 9 to 12. Here we see that uh, you can't have it both ways. You know, sometimes it seems like half of growing up, half of raising up children is learning or teaching that fact. You can't have it both ways. You can't squander your money and still have it saved up. You can't waste all your time and still enjoy the benefits of hard work. You can't break all the rules and then enjoy the freedom of being trusted. You can't have it both ways. remember many, many rounds on this subject with my young son. Well, the Holy Spirit has been teaching us through James about the tongue. We've heard of its tremendous potential, this little member of our body. It's uh, powerful. Uh, it's like a bit that can turn in, in the mouth of a horse that can turn this huge animal. It's like a little rudder that can turn a huge ship. Control it and control your whole self. And then we heard of the tongue's tremendous potential for evil and destruction. It's like a spark that can start a forest fire. The tongue can spread the fires of hell among us, James said. But now in our text today, James gets down to a moment of truth, like we do with our children sometimes. He says to us, God says to us, you can't have it both ways now. In regard to your tongue, you can use them for good or you can use them for evil. But you can't have it both ways. Let me read it. Verse 9. With the tongue we praise our Lord and Father. And with it we curse men who have been made in God's likeness. Out of the same mouth come praise and cursing, my brothers. This should not be. Can both fresh water and salt water flow from the same spring? My brothers, can a fig tree bear olives? Or a grapevine bear figs? Neither can a salt spring produce fresh water. I really have just one point to make. Uh, today, though we'll unpack it with a couple of uh, other truths. The one point, as I would set it before you, is this way. You cannot blast one another and still bless God. You cannot blast one another and still bless God. Actually, James's word is curse one another. When we think of curse, we normally think of uh, using profanity. But this word has to do with uh, calling down a curse on someone as an expression of hatred or hostility, it, not primarily with uh, profanity. As one writer says, it, 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 it's speaking of personal abuse that results from the, uh, from the loss of your temper in a heated controversy, uh, that kind of cursing. So you see, it's possible to curse someone in the sense that James is talking about here without ever using a profane word. You could 
curse someone by cutting them down with words, by denouncing or reviling or speaking evil of them, wishing evil upon someone, pronouncing evil upon someone, as well as, of course, to do all of that with profanity, which is often how it comes. All of those together sum up James's thought, what I would call blasting one another with words. You can't blast one another with your tongue and still bless God. And blessing God is really what it's talking about here when it talks about praise. The word is bless. Uh, James may be referring to a custom among the Jews, the pious Jews, that whenever God's name was mentioned, they would respond, blessed is he. We have kind of little customs like that sometimes. Uh, someone sneezes and someone says, God bless you. <laughs> a little mindless custom, perhaps, of uh, blessing the blessing of God, or, or something similar when uh, someone mentions a deceased person. Some people would say, God rest his soul, and if, uh, pronounce a blessing of God. Um, or, or, or others, we respond, other people respond to any good news with, well, praise the Lord, you know, a blessing God for these things. Well, it's in that vein that the Jews had this little custom of saying, blessed is he, whenever God's name was mentioned. Now, that's just a little token way of blessing God, a little custom, a little practice that the Jews had. But, but it's really only a token of, of the broader reality of praising or blessing God. Uh, as one old commentator wrote, to bless God is to speak well of him, to extol him, to celebrate his name with acts of praise. That's what we've been doing this morning here, as we sing, blessing God, praising God with our mouths. Now, James's point is, you can't have it both ways. You can't blast your brothers calling down curses and at the same time, bless God with praise. That's the simple truth of this passage. All the text does now is to try to uh, make that point or uh, support that point with a couple of reasons, a couple of truths, great biblical truths that, uh, that make this point true and make us feel the weight of this. So the first of those two truths that uh, uh, help us here is that you can't, you can't blast one another and bless God because, here's the first one, because mankind bears the image of God. We were made in the image of God. Like many of you, I suspect, I have at home a little collection of my favorite coffee mugs collected here and there over the years. In fact, I uh, tease my family sometimes that I'm quite a connoisseur of what's the perfect mug, always in search of the perfect coffee mug. I have certain criteria that I've established over the years of what makes a good mug good. Well, one of my favorites that I've had a long time is one that I purchased years and years ago, maybe 20 years ago, in Lancaster County, Pennsylvania from a, from a uh, potter who cast this on his uh, wheel. You can tell that it's a handmade mug. As, as, as you feel the mug, you put your hand in, you can feel how the potter's hand fit right there when he made this mug. You, you look at that, where the handle's attached, and you can see where he put his thumbs to attach that, that uh, handle to the mug. It's just impossible for me to ever use that mug without thinking about this potter who was making mugs and sold me this mug out in, uh, in uh, 
Birdenhand, Pennsylvania, I believe it was. Well, James says, you and I are like that. We're like that mug. God said in Genesis 1, let us make man in our own image, in our own likeness. And so God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Now, what does that mean? Created in the image of God. It doesn't mean that we were created to be little gods. We're not God. God is God. So it doesn't mean that. So what is it? In what sense are we made in the likeness of God? Well, the Baptist scholar Edmund Hybert gives us a good explanation, I thought. He says, the likeness of God consists chiefly in the fact that man is a personal, rational, moral being. Beyond all God's creatures, he possesses the attributes of reason, will, and conscience. The ability to know and serve God, and the capacity to be conformed to God's moral and spiritual likeness. In other words, God made us like himself in that we can love like he loves. We can think like he thinks. We can act on moral principle like he acts. We are personal persons like he's a person, not robots. And we can and we do know God. Now, sometimes we get frustrated with uh, people with humanistic thinking around us, and uh, we, we uh, perhaps are quite critical of that, and rightly so. But we must be careful. The humanist problem is not primarily that he exalts humanity higher than it should be. The humanist problem is that he reduces humanity to less than it should be. You see, the biblical view of man is much more highly exalted than a humanist view. Man is not simply the, the, the greatest of the beast or the, or the highest achievement so far in the evolutionary process. No, man is a specially created image bearer of the eternal, personal God. That's not a low view of man, it's a very high view of mankind. But it's also a reason why we cannot put man at the center of the universe as, as, as the measure of all things, because we're made in the image of God, who is the center of the universe, the measure of all things. We are image bearers of God. His handprints are all over us. When we love, we show his handprints. When we hate, when we think, when we reason, when we make choices, when we act, we're showing that we're like our creator. We're made in his likeness. The problem is, of course, that sin has marred this image. We're image bearers, but we're in rebellion against God. We've been broken and distorted and made useless to God by all the effects of sin. That's why we need a Savior to recreate us, to renew us, to conform us to himself anew. But has the image disappeared? Oh, no. I think about my handmade mug again. Suppose I dropped that mug on the floor and it broke into a dozen pieces. 
would it cease to show the potter's hands? No. The marks would be distorted. The mug might be rendered unusable. But it would never cease to reflect in this way and that. The handiwork of the potter who turned it. And in the same way, even as man rebels against God, he does not cease to bear God's image. In fact, that's what makes our rebellion so evil, is that we are God's highest creation, his personal image bears now in, in a mutiny against him. Men and women who were created to use all of our faculties and all of our energies and the, it, it, to rule in God's name now use it to defy God. Now participate in a hopeless, doomed rebellion. But the image is not completely lost. And if that's true of even wicked people, how much more true is it true is, is it of the, our brothers and sisters in Christ? For the image of God in a Christian is not only not lost, it's being renewed every day. He has been recreated in Christ, been restored to his image bearer, and, and he's being perfectly conformed to be like Jesus, the eternal Son. Now, James takes all this great truth that we've been talking about, about being the image bearers of God. And the fact that we never cease to show God's handiwork. And he says, that's why you can't blast one another and still bless God. Because the person you're blasting is made in the image of the God you're blessing. To curse God's image bearer is to curse God. As I said a minute ago, when I bought that mug, the potter was there. I talked to him and bought it from him. Now, it would be unthinkable for me to comment that that mug was ugly or poorly made without being critical of the potter who I was talking to. In fact, even if I dropped it on the floor, it would be impossible to say, oh, well, it was a piece of junk anyway, without being insulting to the mugger, wouldn't it? Even to call the broken mug a piece of junk is to insult the one who made it. Of course, he's probably used to being criticized, so maybe that's not a very good illustration. Maybe one illustration is closer to home. Think about it in terms of your children. Think of it as if it were your children who were being criticized. Imagine someone saying to you, you know, your son looks just like his dad. And you say, oh, yeah, I thought so too, you know, good-looking guy. And then turn around to the boy a few minutes later, even when he, if he's misbehaving, and say to him, you know, you're an ugly, rotten little kid. Is there any way that that can happen without me feeling some insult as the father? You know, I don't think so. I've noticed even when children misbehave badly that outsiders don't really have the right to criticize them very much to their parents. We're protective of our children. And yet, as obvious as that is, 
As obvious as it is that you can't criticize someone's child without criticizing the father, the mother, that you can't, you can't trash someone's creation without trashing the one who made it, as obvious as all of that is, we still think we can sing praise to God and bless God's name and then turn around on the way home from church and blast our brother or sister. Cut him to ribbons for some trivial thing. Acting as if God doesn't care a thing about his most glorious creation, about these objects of his love and mercy, these ones who reflect his beauty best. John Calvin rightly observed, he who truly worships and honors God will be afraid to speak slanderously of men. Can't blast one another and still bless God because the person you're blasting is made in the image of the God you're blessing. Then there's a second truth that uh, James sets before us here that also supports that same point. And that is this truth that our words express what's in our heart. Our words come from somewhere. They come from the source in our heart. You can't blast one another and still bless God because all your words come from the common source of your heart. Now here the emphasis is on the word cannot. You cannot blast and bless. When we praise God and then turn around and curse our brother, it seems inconsistent. We'd say, well, boy, that doesn't seem like that uh, fits together very well. But in reality, it's worse than just inconsistent. James would tell us it's not possible. It is impossible to blast your brother and still truly be blessing God. You just can't do that. Now James makes his point with a couple of illustrations. First of all, he talks about a spring of water. In verse 11, he points out the almost humorous inconsistency, the, the absurdity of the thought that one day you go out to the spring or you go to your well and you get nice fresh water, and the next day you go out to your well, and you get salty brackish water. Now, this is strange. This is, this is inconsistent. Can that happen? That, that, that's, that's a strange thing. Then verse 12, he goes on beyond the strangeness and the inconsistency of it, and he points out it's not possible. He says, neither can a salt spring produce fresh water. If we think about this illustration a moment, we'll see the point. If a spring is polluted, it's polluted. Even if some fresh, good water is flowing into this water source, if it, the source is polluted, it will all end up being polluted. Any common source of water can only have one kind of water coming from it. It's either good water or it's not good water. And so it is with our tongue. Everything that comes from our tongue, both blessing and cursing, really comes from a common source, comes from our heart. What may at for appear at first to be strangely inconsistent, if examined more closely, will prove to be really impossible. A common source produces only one thing. If our tongues are producing pollution, 
then even our praise to God is polluted. You cannot curse your brother, blast your brother, and bless and praise God. Those words cannot come out of the same source. If your heart is polluted to blast and curse your brother, your praise to God is also polluted. That's just the way it is. Your words expose polluted heart. James gives us a second illustration that makes it even more clear. In verse 12, he says, Fig trees don't bear olives. Great vines don't bear figs. In other words, as is the root, so is the fruit. Every time. Oh, we might hope that this year we're going to get something different from those apple trees. I think maybe this year I would like to get apricots from my apple trees. In fact, I might hear a claim that somebody got oranges from his apple trees. And when I look and they start to bud, I might say, ah, it looks like this year it is going to be something different. Are you sure if this is going to be different? <laughs> no, it's not. In the long run, the root always produces the same kind of fruit. Fig trees produce figs every year. Grape vines produce grapes every year. That's just how it is. And James says in the same way, that which is in our hearts comes out through our mouths sooner or later. We may say that it's not so. People may think differently. They may think, oh, this sounds like real blessing of God. We may hope that no one will ever find, find out how polluted the spring inside of us is. But eventually our words express our hearts like the root produces fruit. Jesus used the same illustration. He said, the tree is recognized by its fruit. How can you who are evil say anything good? For out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. The good man brings good things out of the good stored up in him. And the evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in him. But I tell you that men will have to give an account on the day of judgment, for by your words you will be acquitted, and by your words you will be condemned. So says Jesus. Folks, do you see the impact of this? What appears to be a little inconsistency, that sometimes we blast one another with words, Though we can sit in church and bless God with words. Though that appears to be a little inconsistency, which is common to everyone, in reality it exposes the pollution of our hearts. It is impossible that from the one source of our heart can come both this cursing and true praise. If the blasting of the brother comes from the heart, 
our praise must be polluted. Well, the implication is clear. If we find the cursing coming out of our mouth, we better examine the spring. If we don't like the fruit, we better look at what the root is. Perhaps we're kidding ourselves about our faith. Look at the evidence. But at the same time that I issue such a warning, and it is a warning, God means to confront us here. God means for us to be set back a little bit to realize if you can blast your brother and call curses down on your brother, you must not know God. But at the same time that we hear that warning, I also hold before you the grace of God that can change it. Yes, our hearts are more deeply rotten than we ever would have suspected, but it is rotten hearts like ours that Jesus came to change. Hearts that spew forth corruption, it's that that he came to fix. In fact, Jesus died not just to pay for our sin, but to give us a new heart. And so I call you again to Jesus to confess your need of him, to put your trust in him. Enough of this facade of seeming to go through the motions of religion while in fact our hearts are evil. Enough. Come, learn true discipleship. And the promise is to those who come to Jesus that he will give us his spirit and that his spirit will become in us a, a fountain of pure living water bubbling up all the time that spills over and blesses the world around us. That's what the pure heart looks like. That's Jesus' promise. This is a worshiping church. I love to sing with you. My spirit is lifted as we raise our voices in praise to God. I believe God's honored here. He's praised here with enthusiasm, with sincerity. I know we don't have it all together, but we've known some times of worship that are a taste of heaven. But if that's true, then we cannot have we absolutely cannot have the hatred and the strife and the backbiting and the jealousy and, and, and the foul-mouthed uh, venom that spills out at one another. One or the other's got to go. You can't have it both ways. So which will it be? Will we be the people of God faithfully fulfilling the purpose for which we are created? Glorifying God, blessing God, praising God, enjoying God, knowing His Spirit within us, renewing every day until it's like words are like a, a, a pure spring of living water flowing out of us? Is that what we want? That's what Jesus came to give us. Or will we be a polluted stream? Cursing one another spewing out rottenness, defiling our brothers, defiling our sisters, thus defiling God whose image they bear. 
can't have it both ways. Even to think you can is absurd. It's to believe a lie. You can't have it both ways. Amen. Oh, dear Lord, every one of us has known the inconsistency that James talks about here. Every one of us knows what it is to have the same mouth that praised you on Sunday filled with cursings of a brother or sister on Monday. Lord, we admit that it reveals how desperate our need is. How pitiful our love for you really is. How little we really respect you. How polluted our hearts really are. Oh, Lord, it drives us to ask you for mercy. We need a new heart, Lord. We need you to take away the rottenness for it's deep inside of us. We can't get it, get it out. We can't get rid of it. We need a new heart. Lord, we need forgiveness. We need restoration. We need you to completely remake us, reprogram us, Lord, to make us what you want us to be. Otherwise, this contradiction just goes on and on. Oh, Lord, have mercy on us. Cleanse out the rottenness. Fill us instead with your spirit. Make of us, Lord, a fountain of living water praising you, blessing your name, speaking the, the glorious gospel of your grace to those around us. Oh Lord, help us to realize that it's one or the other. That we're kidding ourselves to think of it. And give us grace to flee to you, to trust you, submit ourselves to you for your total dismantling and rebuilding that we might be what you want us to be. In Jesus' name we pray.